Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFist podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 95th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Kristen Caldwell, talent consultant and advisor. I was really excited to speak with Kristen as we talk at length about a topic that I'm very passionate about and have pretty much built my career around, that being recruiting. Kristen has a very impressive background where she's played a key role in building out some of the top companies across both coasts. I'm talking about companies like Yammer, Vine, Uber, and Blue Apron. Today, she is working with founders to help out with their talent acquisition strategy, as well as working as an advisor for VC firms like Thrive Capital and NextView Ventures. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Kristen's background and the story of how she fell into recruiting, the details of her in-house recruiting experience at each company, the common mistakes entrepreneurs make when hiring, how Kristen advises brand new companies on top of the final candidate strategy, including how to recruit engineers, telling the difference between someone who is good at interviewing versus a good hire, how to approach diversity and inclusion, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. Our biz pages are a great way to do a virtual tour of high-growth tech companies across the New York tech scene. Each biz page has lots of information about the company, its culture, job openings, the team, and so much more. You'll find lots of great companies listed like Order Groove, Seven Rooms, Reonomy, Casisto, Bowery, UiPath, Facebook, DigitalOcean, and so many, many more. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash biz pages to start exploring. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Kristen. Kristen, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. The reason being is we're going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. It's pretty much what I've built my whole career around. That is recruiting for high growth tech companies. And you have an amazing track record working with some of the most uh, you know, successful companies on both coasts. So we have a lot to talk about. But before we get into all that, let's talk about you and your background. Like, where did you grow up? You know, what did your parents do for work? Um, you know, what were you like as a kid? I, I love the foundational questions. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so I actually moved around quite a bit growing up. Uh, my dad worked for IBM, and just back in the day, it would kind of moved people around. Uh, so the the quick run through: I was born in Georgia, moved to San Francisco. Boston, DC, and then Chicago. Right. Wow, you did move a lot. I did. Yeah, it was about every four years I moved. So. That's very fun. So you got to see lots of different parts of the country and experience how, you know, the Northeast, the Southeast, the, you know, the West. So you saw a little bit of everything. I did. I did. Yeah. So it may be, I would say maybe very adaptable, which definitely helps for recruiting and what I've been doing. And that's how like the, these foundational questions, they always kind of translate and you see there's like this foundation that builds into what the person's doing professionally and how that experience of, you know, maybe having to hit the reset button of making new friends helped you out with, uh, you know, building relationships all day long and recruiting. Exactly. And, and just being comfortable with having some of those awkward conversations that you have to have in recruiting or networking. So from there, what did you do straight out of undergrad? So actually, um, I, I worked with autistic kids in a school in Boston. So mm-hmm. something totally different, um, but fantastic experience. Um, I moved on from the, the special ed aspect, uh, lived abroad for about three years. And then when I came back, I thought that I would get into sales. So from there... Um, I, I was sending my resume around, I was talking to recruiting agencies. I really wanted to live in San Francisco. So there's a long story short, there's a recruiting agency that kind of did a bait and switch. 
and <laughs> <laughs> called me in for a sales role and then ended up working for them as a recruiter. Now, the, the time you spent in the agency world, what, what did that teach you? So I feel like with anyone that's worked in the agency world, you, you really earn your stripes. <laughs> um, so I got into the agency world, it was like 2008, 2009, when mm, the economy was oh. not doing well <laughs> at all. People were not using recruiting agencies. So I feel like I learned really, uh, really just kind of like how to hustle um, have grit and just like almost get comfortable with rejection. Cause so many companies are like, thank you, but no thanks. You know, yeah, they we just, just laid work. a bunch of people off. We're not hiring. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, it was a lot of networking and just getting out there. So yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is just that hustle. I think you learn working in agencies from there. Uh, like so many great recruiters in the tech industry, you kind of earn your stripes in the agency world, but then it's time to move on and, and do it in-house. So what, what led you down that path and where'd you begin there? Right. So I felt like in the agency world, I was making great relationships with, with candidates and, and some of the hiring managers, but I didn't feel a part of it. It was like once I placed them, it was just, it was kind of done and you might check back in, but it, it's not the same. So I wanted to actually be part of a company that was building something. Um, and so I joined Yammer, which was absolutely fantastic. Just such an uh, amazing, unique experience. I, I loved it. It was, you know, first in-house recruiting job. Um, in the first year, we tripled the engineering team. So it was just like massive hyper growth. But um, I think what, what was really wonderful and what helped us to actually triple the team was that we had such strong relationships with the tech teams and they really worked as partners with us, uh, which is like, which is a game changer. Like they were just as involved in the recruiting process as we were. Um, it, it wasn't sort of like pitched over to the recruiter to, to figure out all the hiring needs. Um, everyone was pretty hands-on and, and very invested. And so we went to a lot of conferences with the engineers. We hosted events. Um, it, it was just kind of like nonstop, even in our happy hours, it would be something that <laughs> we'd sit there and, and talk about with the engineers because they, they were actually interested in it. And it was an amazing team. David Sachs and the rest of the team at Yammer created this great company that had a fantastic exit to Microsoft. What was the stage of the company when you joined and it seems like you're, that's where you found kind of your groove of in, internal recruitment because you, your career started to really skyrocket. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's when I figured out that I, I love hyper growth companies. So when I joined, I, it was, they were just about to really start picking up. Um, so I joined relatively early on, but pretty early within the recruiting team. Um, and then from there, the, you know, the, the team obviously ended up growing. It was, so it was hyper growth, you know, sky's the limit. There's no cap. Um, and then we were acquired by Microsoft and that was a complete 180. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the way things, um, the way things were at Yammer, extremely scrappy, like, not a ton of process, just do anything to get it done, not so much red tape. And then 
switch over to Microsoft and it's a, a behemoth of a company and they have our, you know, well-oiled machine. They, they have things figured out the way that they like to do them. And it was, you know, it was a difficult transition that we ended up figuring out um, as you do with acquisitions. And I stayed on, on a year after the acquisition kind of saw it through um, and ended up overseeing the hiring for the London office, which was incredible. Um, and, and that was, that was a ton of fun to do as well. Again, it gave me an opportunity to learn about, um, there, there's different laws there, um, different candidates. It's, it's just a, a very, very different experience. Um, but one of the things I noticed from the transition of going from scrappy, uh, pre-IPO startup to Microsoft was that the candidates that were interested and that we were attracting changed. And so that change was important for, for the team to realize and, and get comfortable with too, where um, now we were attracting candidates that were interested in us because we had this stability. We had those amazing benefits. And so uh, they uh, but before we were attracting people that were interested in risk, high risk, high reward, that was what they were looking for. So, so finding that change and figuring out what worked for us as well, um, was a good experience. On to the next chapter, back to the East coast, to New York. Right. Uh, your next up was, was Vine. Vine. I know. Vine, if I'm, if my memory is correct, was acquired by Twitter before it even like officially launched. So you were working for like this portfolio sub company of Twitter. Yes. Exactly. Which was a small team still, I would imagine. Right. It was, it was, it was really small. I think it was about maybe 15 people when I joined. So it, it was still very, very small. They were working um, pretty separately from Twitter and um, which actually kind of changed as I was there. Uh, but but that was amazing because it was a different experience where at Yammer, there, there was a team of us to Vine where it was a one-woman show. And I was just kind of running everything and putting process in place and figuring things out and scheduling, just kind of all of it, all-encompassing. Um, and it wasn't just tech roles, which was predominantly what I did at Yammer. Um, but this was it, was, it was everything. Um, so that was, that was a really, a really fun experience. Um, and yeah, so, so I, then I, I moved on to Uber. Um, yeah, so then you went from hypergrowth to the most hypergrowth company <laughs> of, of our generation, I guess, or our, our era, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so what brought you to Uber? Um, so I actually had a friend that I worked with, uh, beforehand that referred me over, um, and, in New York, they were just starting to build out their engineering team. They already had the, the non-tech office there. Um, but when I joined, it was just three engineers. So it, it was, you know, bare bones. Bare bones. Uh, but it had the benefit of this, you know, of Uber and the right. brand, everything. So, um, so, so that was an amazing experience. I was there for about a year and took it from three engineers to around 45. And it was just me. Wow. Um, that is there. impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, that, that was nonstop. That was just like, I mean, you stayed up till, you know, 
1, 2 a.m. working. It just kind of never ended. I do use that phrase um, still today, like recruiting never sleeps. Like as a recruiter, you're always on. It's very, very true. (laughs) (laughs) So you saw the skyrocket of Uber, then on to another company that, um, you know, had their own, uh, you know, skyrocket to a public offering. So Blue Apron. So talk about that because that role is, you know, you had a very large part in building that team. Um, so I, I had the great opportunity to, to move up with Blue Apron. So I joined, um, oversaw the tech recruiting team when I joined and it was, it was a similar thing where it was right before the, the massive kind of hyper growth. Um, they were definitely building it out. It was an extremely small recruiting team that had set up process and it was, uh, doing well. But then I joined and it was, uh, like, let's focus on scale and how we can move this quickly and let's get involved with conferences and, and the branding of a non-tech company that are seen as non-tech and how are we going to frame it in the tech world and putting that strategy together, building that out. And then, um, and then from there, I, I went into to oversee tech, non-tech headquarters. And then my last little bit when I was there, um, I oversaw the warehouse hiring. Which oh, wow. Is its own beast. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So you were seeing, you know, the big chunk of the, the overall hiring for the company. So mm-hmm. how did you learn to, you know, continue to expand, you know, from that engineering to corporate functions to warehousing? Like, how did you learn how to adapt to that different hiring model? Yeah. So I think with um, going, going from tech to, to non-tech is a little bit easier. It's just, it's different teams, but it's that same kind of, process that you want to put in place of um, how many people they need to hire and then, you know, kind of reverse engineering of how many on-sites calls, career calls and and setting up a strategy that way. Um, So that transition wasn't as difficult. Um, I I think quite honestly, the biggest challenge for me was, was going into the warehouse aspect of it because those were just massive hiring. We have hiring days of 400 people. So totally, you know, it's a totally different way of recruiting where um, with non-tech and tech in the corporate kind of world, you're taking care of your candidates and you're nurturing those relationships and it's a long process. And not that you're not doing that with warehouse hiring, but it's a little bit different when you have a hiring day of 400 people showing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very <laughs> and, different. You know, it's just uh, it, it's it's a different kind of strategy. So, what are you doing today? Today, I am. Um, I started working for myself. Um, I've been doing that for about eight nine months, and I am working kind of a variety of things. So, uh, I'm currently consulting for um, a CBD company based out of LA and Denver. Um, and when I joined them, it was pre-launch, uh, just the three founders. So it was really, really starting from scratch and building everything from their ATS systems. Um, they, they've now launched, it's called Fields. Um, and then I'm also working with two venture capital firms. So I work with Thrive Capital, um, consulting different portfolio companies or various projects, as well as another VC called um, next few ventures and doing one-on-one consulting, having 
hiring boot camps. You got a lot going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You're doing a lot, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's, you know, we covered your background, which obviously you've had, you know, just a great ride in recruiting. And I think it's awesome that you're able to leverage your experience across more of a portfolio of work now uh, in your current role. Well, let's, let's dive deep into kind of the, the craft and the art of recruiting. Um, What are some of the common mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make when they're kind of, you know, kicking off, you know, they raise some capital. Now they have to do some hiring. What are the common mistakes you see there? Sure. So I think one of the biggest mistakes I see with founders when it's very, very early stages is that founders, um, it's difficult to let go. Um, and so letting go and actually, um, not being afraid to hire people um, it, it can be a challenge. And so founders just feel like, you know what, I don't have time. I don't have time to recruit. I don't have time to interview, look for candidates, do all that stuff. I'm just going to do it my, myself. It's easier if I do it myself. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not sustainable. That's not actually, uh, that's not going to be good for the company. So um, being realistic about how much time they need to spend on recruiting Um, And that's everything from networking and getting those coffee meetings in place um, to uh, having press and interviews, whether it's speaking at various events or or actually, um, you know, it's it's a journalist. That's extremely important. And so I think that's one of the major ones. The other one that I see is on the opposite side where they just need someone to come in. So they kind of lower their bar and they say, well, okay, let's, we just, we need somebody to be doing this. Like we can't wait for the right person. So they bring in somebody that isn't the best hire is ultimately not going to be, um, long-term the best fit, like anything from maybe not having that the actual skills to not being a total culture fit. And in the very beginning, culture is extremely important. Um, so I think those are, are probably the biggest mistakes that I see. And in that scenario, obviously they're trying to, you know, just, they need a person and it's a band aid, but it ends up setting them back typically over the long haul. So it's better to be a little bit more patient. Absolutely. Yeah. It's more time consuming to bring in a bad hire because you've spent your time training them, working with them to get to the right place. And then ultimately it doesn't work out and you're back at square one. How do you advise companies on building kind of the top of the funnel when you're just starting out? No one really knows who you are just yet. Uh, and I guess I want to ask this question broad, but I also want to ask it maybe two parts. Of, so I'll let you decide if you want to answer it with one answer or if there's two. Everybody's like engineering hiring is so difficult no matter what stage you're at. So maybe it is two questions. The first one being, how do you kind of build out you know, that top of the funnel candidate strategy if you're just a brand new company? And then the second, how do you... you know? Engineers, no, regardless of stage of company. <laughs> yeah, engineers are always challenging. But uh, to start with the, the first part, um, especially when you don't have any recruiting help in the beginning, um, it is how I said, it's really, um, well, first and foremost, taking a step back and looking at the business needs, the product roadmap, and then figuring out the plan of what you actually need to hire. Um, I think that's First and foremost, a lot of a lot of companies don't actually do that. But that's extremely important to start there. 
Um, and then it's everything from they saying of spending time on recruiting. So um, getting involved with networking events or being open to those coffee meetings. I think leaning on your investors is also very important. Um, if there are investors that have a recruiting function, really pulling from that can be very beneficial. Um, even tapping into your own network. Um, referrals are, are huge, especially in the beginning. And there are, there are tiny little things like even writing, we're hiring on LinkedIn or in your email signature, all these good things. Getting out there, um, setting up a brand that is going to attract talent is huge. Um, a lot of times I've seen companies not spend that much time on their actual brand, but that's extremely important for candidates. They, they want to join something that they're excited about. So um, there's that aspect, bringing in a recruiter sooner than later. Um, I think a lot of companies really resist that and they don't want to, um, and they might rely on agencies, but in the long run, you're actually going to spend more money um, using those agencies. Whereas you can bring in a recruiter um, and it's, it's going to help tremendously, even if it's split between agencies and a recruiter. So I think that's really important. Um, sourcing candidates is especially early stage, which is why I recommend bringing in a recruiter. The story isn't out there quite yet uh, for those very early stage companies. And so you need somebody getting out there and messaging and sending it out to the candidates that you're looking for. Um, so that's pretty huge. Uh, and the people that you do have in your company, really encouraging them to think of themselves, everyone as a part-time recruiter. Like everyone should be involved in this. It should be brought up in those all hands, those team meetings, um, and just having it top of mind for everyone in the company. I think when they bring in a recruiter, it kind of sets the tone for how critical talent is thought of within that company. The earlier uh, someone that is coming in to lead a talent function, I think sends a very strong signal that they're taking this serious, that they want to hire the best people versus uh, let's, can't we just have the office manager do like the uh, scheduling of interviews and getting the job postings out there? I mean, I mean, I've seen it all in, you know, 15, 20 years of recruiting. Exactly. That's a really good point that I'm glad you brought up because candidate experience in the very beginning is, I mean, always, but especially in, in the very beginning um, where those candidates, even if you're not going to hire them, they can be the promoters of your company or, or the complete opposite. So it's very important where uh, you have somebody that's devoted to it and they're paying attention to the candidate experience. They're not letting things fall through the cracks. Um, they're really on top of it and making sure things are, are moving along quickly and, and that um, they're getting those and all that kind of stuff so yeah hiring engineers what 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 advice do you have there <laughs> what's the silver bullet that everybody's been dying to hear because we're counting on you here's, yeah here's the key i think everyone's trying to figure that out um the key to hiring engineers well it, it kind of depends and, and figuring out um what is the selling point i think something that can be fantastic for early stage is uh, for those early stage companies is selling to those candidates. You get to build this from scratch. I mean, most engineers love that. They love the opportunity to build something from scratch. And 
the engineers that want to do that are typically the ones that want to work in startups. So really emphasizing that of just small team, big impact, I think can be huge. Um, I'm seeing the, the market also shift a little bit where, of course, the technical challenges are important, but also being uh, also working with a company that's mission driven so that they can there's there's something behind it of what they're doing that they can feel strongly about. Um, so really getting that mission figured out as well and selling it. Um, I think I think that's key. And just being scrappy in terms of your sourcing. Um, obviously, recruiters use LinkedIn, sure, but there are so many other channel channels that you can check out and, um, and just being scrappy. I feel like nowadays it's like you can't just rely on LinkedIn at all. Um, it, it's everything from GitHub to Medium to you know, social media, just networking, event, I mean, you name it. It's kind of like a whole combination. Yeah, it's a multi-channel strategy now. You can't just count on one single source to to get where you need to to be for your pipeline. Yeah, no, not at all. Now, w- w- once the candidate you know is engaged and interested and wants to come in, h- how do you tell the difference between a you know someone who's just a good interviewer that may sell themselves versus a good hire? And you actually wrote a, a blog post about this recently for NextView, so I wanted to dig a little bit deeper on that. I did, yeah, I did actually. This is uh, this came from one of the hiring boot camps that I did with them, where it was it was just such a huge topic of people trying to figure this out. Um, so one of the biggest things that I would say that I would recommend is having a real life assessment. Um, as a recruiter, I actually, I used to be against this because I wanted the process to move quickly. Um, but the reality is to make sure that you're going to have a good hire, you do need to have those exercises where regardless of the role, um, test them on what they're actually going to be doing at your company. Um, and if, you know, if it's in marketing, maybe it'll be a presentation. If it's engineering, it's usually a coding sample. So making it relevant to the actual role. Um, so first and foremost, I think that's huge. Uh, the other part when, is, when should they bring that into the process? I've seen companies do it at different stages. When do you think is the right time to introduce the project-based deliverable? I think it depends on the role. But I would say... Um, I, I would typically say to have some kind of cell call beforehand or phone interview beforehand and then have the take home because especially if your brand isn't well known, you know, companies that are bigger like Uber, they might be able to get away with this, right? (laughs) Um, Where where they can, they can put the take home, uh, they can front load it. But I would say for those earlier stage companies to have a phone call or a Zoom interview, whatever it is, beforehand with the hiring manager and have there be a little bit of sell, a little bit more of we're, we're seeing you as an actual person and, you know, what questions can we answer for you? And then bringing on the, the take-home assignment or whatever it is. Sometimes with, with some of the roles, it comes after the onsite and it can be, it's a little bit easier, you know, sometimes for analysts, for example, data analysts, like it, it can be a better idea to do it at the end of the onsite. So kind of, it kind of depends. Yeah, no, and I agree. It's, it's, you got to at least have some level of engagement with the candidate that they are excited and committed to following through. Cause otherwise, if you introduce that at the top of the process, 
people are just not going to have a, they don't have time and they're just not going to follow through on it. Now, if they're in the interview process and they're excited about the company, they'll find the time to get it done. Otherwise they're probably not a fit anyways. It's a good way to disqualify people. Exactly. Yeah. Now, and then you got a second point that, uh, before I started drilling down more on that. So, so making sure it's an actual good hire, I would say to look at those behavioral cues. I think that's big where, um, if they are, you know, if, if they're showing that they're a little bit negative or maybe there are signs of laziness or, um, or they can, you know, if they're self-centered, how are they going to work uh, with the rest of the team? Uh, if there are inconsistencies um, or they're uh, not totally honest about something or they in fact lie, it's definitely not a good sign. So there are all of those little cues and I feel like uh, what can be good is taking the candidate to lunch or, you know, if it's gone through the, the onsite and then you're not entirely sure, maybe you have dinner or you have drinks or coffee with a candidate to try to, to, um, assess these types of skills. But when you get candidates into more of a relaxed environment, you can usually see uh, a little bit more and it can be it can be both positive and negative of finding out about the candidate and, and just how they are as a person. So I, I think that's, that's pretty big as well. Um, the other thing is making sure multiple people in the company interview a candidate. Um, when you're very, you know, it's a very lean team and let's say you only have you know, four people, sometimes it feels like, well, one or two of the founders met with this candidate, so we should be good. And the reality is you should really have as many people interview them. You don't want to be excessive, of course. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you want to make sure that multiple people meet with them, even if it's just a cultural assessment, um, because those beginning hires, are they're so critical to, to how the company is, is going to be. What about, um, you know, for, you know, setting up that interview process, mm-hmm. uh, do you have your own kind of like, like if you were sitting down, like you're advising companies now, do you kind of have your own like playbook of, you know, at this stage of the company it probably should be a three-step process or depending on the role, uh, like how do you advise on not dragging you out too long, but not, you know, and if it's tight market, you know, you got to move quickly. So how do you juggle that? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it depends on the role. It typically depends on the hiring manager too. <laughs> um, so what I try to do always is establish the process before we even start sourcing candidates and really setting it up where, okay, so what's the first step? Who's going to do the phone call? How long is that going to last? What are you going to be asking? What's that? Going through each step and it seems tedious in the beginning. And I know hiring managers are like, Kristen, why are we doing this? But the reality is it, it really works out in the long run because then you get a candidate in and you can just go through the process. Um, whereas if you figure it out on the go, it takes a little bit longer. It's a little clunky. It's not the best candidate experience. Um, so for me, it's really working with the hiring manager and then depending on Sometimes they have their own ideas of what they want to do and they want it to be a process that can take two months. And that, you know, just to having, have to have those back and forth with them of, I could do that, but you need this person with 
you know, in three months. So just really trying to figure out, um, what's needed. It, it does depend on the actual hiring manager that you're working with. One of the important points that you just brought up that I, I want to stress is having an interview process where people know their role mm-hmm. because you'll have other situations where everyone's asking the same questions over and over again and everyone's getting the same answers or results and there's really no one that's, you know, honing more on, uh, you know, job background, culture fits, um, you know, grit, whatever. It's, you know, it's just rinse and repeat for the candidate versus everyone has a role to, uh, to dig in deeper. Exactly. And uh, figuring out those focus areas beforehand and who is the best interviewer for that or who are the various interviewers that can really do that and figuring out the questions. uh, I think it's so important. I also believe in having uh, a quick prep meeting beforehand with the interviewers to go over, all right, this is what we're thinking of. This is what we're going to do. Um, And that allows the interviewers to say, we've left something out, or I think this actually isn't relevant to, to the job. And so that you, you get the whole, the team buys in to what the interview process is going to be, uh, which then makes for a better experience and a little bit easier to hire the right candidate. Diversity and inclusion is on the radar for every company or, you know, the overwhelming majority, which is a very good thing. It should be. What advice are you giving to companies on uh, building a more diverse and inclusive workforce? Mm-hmm. I think I think this is huge for everyone right now. Um, well, I would always recommend to focus on this as early as possible. Like the the sooner the better, um, because it just it just creates a foundation of where this is important. And a lot of times, companies get stuck on we just need to hire, we need to hire, and they don't focus on it. And then they've hired 30 people and it's not a diverse team at all. And now, you know, now it's going to be just 10 times more difficult. So first and foremost, uh, definitely making sure that it's um, thought of very, very early on, like out of the gate is ideal. And then um, posting on job boards that are diversity friendly getting involved with organizations um, that can partner with you in terms of diversity, going to conferences, um, getting out there, speaking at various diversity events or hosting them. Um, So really being like involved as much as possible, but also looking at things like, is there bias in your job description? And so you want to have, neutral titles, neutral pronouns, uh, the, the diversity, equality statement at the bottom. I mean, those are just like, you should always be doing those. Uh, but they're, they've also seen a tendency when, um, when there are a lot of requirements, women tend to have a higher tendency to opt out of applying to jobs, whereas men have a tendency to opt in, even if they don't have all of of the requirements. So thinking about maybe building out the nice to haves a little bit more than saying everything is absolutely required. Um, And they are really great. There's different software that you can use, like Textio is a great resource where you can just plug in the JD and it'll show you these words are great. Good job. You might want to think about tweaking this and they'll offer up suggestions. 
So that's one way. Um, and then of course, with the actual interview process, making sure that you have a diverse team that is interviewing candidates, um, making sure that there's not in-group bias, um, that there's not this tendency to you know, sort of like the people that are just like you a little bit more. Um, when there's a debrief, making sure that it is very evidence-based as opposed to, well, I feel like they're not a culture fit. Like really making sure people are having those concrete examples, um, I, I think is key. And um, having a structured interview as well, so that it, it's a consistent interview regardless of the candidate that is coming in. Uh, so, so that helps with actually hiring uh, a, a more diverse population, but once that happens, you need to also think about inclusion and um, paying attention to any of those historical events, maybe having monthly monthly events or um, I think resource groups are import, important. Um, having a diversity committee, um, really being a partner and a champion as well for, for these initiatives. And I, I think it's extremely important that this, this thought of diversity is huge. We want to make sure that we have this having that come from the top um, as opposed to uh, kind of like the bottom, the bottom up, I guess, expressing it and saying, Hey, we want to see this. I think it's so important that the executive team really focus on, focuses on this as well. And that there is a champion within the executive team that is always bringing this up, driving it home. Well, throughout your career, I'm sure you've had lots of very challenging, difficult searches. And there's probably certain job titles that you would hear that you'd be like, Ooh, okay, deep breath. My, my, in my world, I did a lot of marketing and product management searches. And anytime I heard the word product marketing, I'd be like, okay, this one's going to be a challenge. I don't know why, but product marketing was always the th thorn in my side. But so were there, you know, certain like success stories that you remember of those really hard searches that you had to like dig deep and, and just overcome every obstacle? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I definitely have those like individual searches, but I think as as a theme, what, what I have with searches over the different companies that I worked with was we need to hire like whatever it is, it would be some huge amount. We need to hire X amount of engineers in three months. Can you make that happen? And so I would get that a lot or, or not even, can you make that happen? Just make it happen. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and the reality was using that data of, okay, well, let's actually look at what this means. So if you want 10 engineers in three months, um, how many on-sites will that be? Like, you know, looking at in order to get one hire, how many on-sites, how many phone screens, if there's a take-home and, and factor in, maybe that'll take a week, um, recruiter screen, sourcing, all of that stuff. And really looking at that, so reverse engineering it and uh, looking at, at both the timeline of how long it typically takes to go from the various stages, but also the amount of time, the amount of interviews that are needed because as a recruiter, and if you're part of a, a recruiting team, you need that commitment from, from the other team of, all right, this means that you are going to be devoting 
30% of your week to interviewing and getting that commitment from them. Uh, because I, I, so many times I've had it where they want to hire so many people, yet they only want to actually maybe have three hours of interviews a week. <laughs> <laughs> the numbers don't well, add up. So. <laughs> yeah. That, mm. Show them the data of backing into those hires based on the top of the funnel, the interview time and all the steps and how long that usually takes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Really so, so I think that's really important. And some examples of doing that was um, like when I was at Vine, I the the designers the design team had changed and I needed to hire four designers in four weeks and but it was like not even a choice because there was one designer on who was about to go on paternity leave uh and then there there was the founder who Russ who was the designer and he obviously had a million other things to do as well so it was setting up this process of all right, here's how we're going to tackle this and then sticking to it and just, you know, uh, this, this is the focus. And he understood that he would move his one-on-ones. He would, you know, whatever needed to happen, <laughs> that's what we were going to do. And it was, it's that partnership that I think helped so much and ended up hiring. I think it was uh, three designers within the four weeks. And then the fourth one was like, uh, a week or two after or so, um, those, those kinds of things. I did that also at, at Blue Apron where on the warehouse side of things, we had to do that. And it was just, it was that reverse engineering of, okay, here's how we're going to do it. And here's how we're going to hit it. Um, and, and making a plan of we're going to tackle this and everyone gets it, you know, having those meetings beforehand of, all right. So like, it's on us as much as it is on you guys to commit to this amount of time to interview. Was there, is there anything that you've done that was super thinking, you know, creative, you know, almost like a, it could be, it could be a recruiting hack or it could be something that you just didn't think it would actually work, but it actually ended up working out. And it's, you know, one of those things that you're like, wow, I'm glad we did that. Um, yeah, I think, with in terms of the hacks, I think using uh, there's a lot of great automated recruiting software out there right now. So I feel like it, I've been utilizing those a little bit more. Um, like what? Uh, so resource I think is a fantastic, um, fantastic product where you can automate the emails that you send out where um, it comes from. And I don't need a template. You can create your templates beforehand and then make them personalized, but send them out. And then the follow-ups of three days after um, a follow-up email, maybe a week later, another one. So it just reduces the amount of time that recruiters are spending sourcing and following up. Um, I'm sure candidates don't love hearing that, but it's just the reality. It's it's a great thing for us recruiters to use. I, I think that's... Oh, well, it's marketing automation like marketers are using now to attract people for lead gen. Right, right. That's true. So yeah, I think that's uh, that one's great. Hire tools, great. Like there's, there's a variety out there and there's more and more coming out. Yeah, no, there's a ton, ton of different software and platforms out there that are all trying to uh, help with this critical need of hiring. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when, when you're not, you know, like we said, recruiting never sleeps. So when you do have waking moments of not recruiting, what do you like to do outside of work? Um, I, 
anything from now that I have more free time, I think traveling is becoming uh, bigger. So almost every month trying to go somewhere, which is great. Um, I love, you know, yoga and just everything that New York has to offer of going to shows and museums, um, anything spiritual I am very into. So I don't know, kind of variety of things. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for uh, walking us through your background and obviously all the great experience you've had throughout these hyper growth companies. And then just like a deep dive into the world of recruiting and things that founders should be thinking about from each step of the process. So thanks for giving these great you know pieces of advice and tips. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you for having me. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.